You're listening to podcast audio from Radiant Church, located in Bay City, Michigan. For more information on Radiant Church, you can check us out on www.radiantbc.com or follow us on social media at Radiant Bay City. morning once again Radiant Church. Thanks for being here this morning. Hey men in the room and men watching online, I have a quick announcement for you. This Saturday I am teaching the man's the men's lesson and my message is entitled The Secret Place Men's Edition. And the secret place really is all about uh, it's characterized of the times where we are alone with God. Sometimes that is the early hours of the morning or maybe sometimes the late hours of the night or in your car. I don't know. But listen, these are the times where we need to be shaped and formed as men. So listen, men, I would love for you to join me here at the church on Saturday, January 20th. It begins at 8 a.m. We'll have some coffee, bagels, and some goodies there. So we would love for you to partake in that, be a part of community, get to know some other fellas here, and be fed spiritually and physically. Well, listen, today, church, we are in part number two of our message series entitled Seek. And if you're new with us here at the church, Seek is an annual series. It's an annual 21-day period of time where we fast, we pray, we seek the presence of God. And really what we're trying to do is we're trying to put God at the center and make him first, right? First things first in the new year in the hopes that this will really set the tone for us in the future, set the tone for us for the rest of our year. And if you uh, would like to follow along with us during these 21 days, you can download the free uh, digital devotional, the guide, radiantbc.com forward slash seek, and there'll be a devotion for every single day. And I've got to see many of your posts on Facebook or pictures of what you're reading that day from our devotional that we offered. And so it's so exciting to see the church engage with the content here on a daily basis. Last week, we were in Isaiah chapter 55. We looked at one of the prophets, Isaiah. And just personally, myself, I've been kind of in this Old Testament prophet kick. And so we're going to go back to the Old Testament this morning, actually. And we're going to go to the prophet Joel. Joel. And uh, Joel is considered a minor prophet. And I'll talk to you about what that really means and what that's all about. It's a bit of an obscure book of the Bible. A lot of people don't recognize it or maybe you've never read it or even heard of it for some of you. I was actually looking on BibleGateway.com. They did a survey a while back ago of the most popular books of the Bible and the most unpopular books of the Bible. And Obadiah (laughs) was the least popular book of the Bible. Like, no one's ever read Obadiah. Like, who is that guy? What has he done, right? And so Joel is in that category of the minor prophets. And these are books of the Bible that are rarely read, if at all. But we're going to dive into that this morning. If you have a Bible with you or a version app on your, uh, your iPhones or your Androids or whatnot, you can follow along with me. The verses will be behind me as well. But I want to open up. God's word to Joel chapter 2, and we're going to begin in verse number 12, and we're going to read just three verses together, verses 12 through 14. Here's what it says, beginning in verse 12. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. 
Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing, grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. Church, on that note, let's take a moment to pray, and then we'll dive into these verses and what they mean for us today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we we love you, and we're so grateful to be in your presence, God. I'm so good to be with the people of God, Lord, in your house, God. Um, God, I just uh, celebrate all that you're doing in and through for future generations, God, and and, uh, that hope and that promise is there, God. We know that we will see this dream a a reality. God, we, we pray for today and for uh, just our gathering today that you would come and by the power of your spirit that you would uh, unlock deaf ears. God, that you would open blind eyes and, and soften some of our hardened hearts today, Lord, as we press in. We want to hear your voice, but we know that we need a soft heart to do so, God. So we pray, come Holy Spirit and just do a work on the inside of us today. And Lord, we know that by your providence, you saw it fit to have Michigan win the national championship. And, <laughs> and so, Lord, we're now praying that you would see it fit for the Lions to win the Super Bowl. But, but first, let them defeat the Rams tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. amen. Got somebody's attention in church. Hallelujah. It always gets someone's attention, too. A few months ago, listen, I was uh, meeting with a woman here at the church in, in my office, and after I, I met with her, I talked about life and ministry, uh, she gave me a small gift, and that small gift was a, was a plant, a small plant, it's a, I believe it's a cactus of some sorts, very, very kind gesture, um, very nice gift, and uh, I like plants, for the record, just so you know, I'm a fan of plants, I think they're they look good. Um, I'm a fan of oxygen. I hope you are too. And, and they take in the carbon dioxide, so that's a good thing. But I'm not so good at caring for plants, if you know what I mean, right? Like some people, I think the expression is a green thumb. Is that correct? Yeah, so some people have a green thumb, and they have beautiful plants all over the house. They have a garden in the back. That ain't your boy, okay? That is, that's not me, okay? I'm good at making things die, but not making them live, Okay. And so she reassured me. She's like, no, Pastor Marco, like, this is little maintenance. Just give it some water every once in a while, some sunlight, and everything will be okay. And I'm like, challenge accepted. Sounds good. Thank you so much. Simple, right? Well, you would think it was simple. A few weeks ago, Pastor Sarah, one of our pastors here on staff, walks into my office, comes to my desk, and looks at the plant. She says, that looks pathetic. <laughs> when is the last time you gave that water? And I was like, you know what? I don't remember. Shoot. And so I'm sorry. If you're here or watching online and you gave me that plant, I'm sorry. I really do like plants. I promise you, okay? So Pastor Sarah takes the plant. She takes the plant and she takes it to the water fountain in an effort to revitalize it, to give it some life, to put water back into it, to see it sort of flourish once again. And that little incident became sort of the joke in the office during that day. And I tell you this illustration because before that cactus received the the water, I want to just give you a visual 
to imagine with me, before it received the water, the soil was hard. It was dry, <laughs> incredibly dry. And it was even a bit broken up. And the leaves on the cap cactus were just a bit, like a little wilted, right? Not much life going on there. The leaves are wilted. They even appeared lifeless. But it's amazing how much water brings life to a plant, how much it can revitalize a plant. And I use this picture, this illustration. I tell this story to you this morning because I believe that maybe perhaps for many of us, listen, for many of us, this is a picture of our hearts either before we met Christ or even currently right now. In fact, this might describe some of you this morning today. I know with first service, it resonated with many people. But that illustration, that word picture I offered you just a few moments ago is actually a picture of your heart. It's it's hard. It's dry. It's a bit broken up. Maybe you're here this morning or you're watching online and you would even say this, uh, Pastor Marco, I, I, I consider myself, I've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. I've been born again. I follow after him. You would even call yourself a believer, but listen, it's been months, maybe even years since you, you heard from the Lord. Like you just feel like you can't hear from the Lord anymore. Like you don't hear his, his whispers in the, in the secret place when, you're, when it's just you and him. Maybe for you, it's like you, 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 you haven't like wept in the presence of God. Maybe you've never wept in the presence of God. But maybe for you, you used to. You'd come to church and, and as we corporately gather, you would just weep in his presence. Or when you were in your car playing worship music or at home, like many people will tell me, you know, in their devotional time, worship music in the background, just weeping before the Lord. And for you, it's been, it's been months, if not years, since you've wept before the Lord. Maybe for you in your heart, you just feel like there's no, there's no, there's no drive to be with him. Like, you don't, you know, like, yeah, I'll go to church. But apart from that, there's no drive to actually spend time with Jesus when you used to run to his presence. You used to look forward to those times where you could be alone with God. But now you only do it when you feel like it. But truth be told, you haven't felt like it in a long time. A long time. Maybe for, for you here this morning, their sin patterns have developed. They've been established in your life. And, and those sin patterns, listen, they've, they've worked calluses around your heart. Calluses. And just like a, a, a young guitar player develops calluses on his fingers and he can no longer feel the strings and the frets and it allows him to practice for hours upon hours, maybe perhaps for a few of you here this morning watching online even, listen, you, there are calluses developed around your heart and it feels like you can't even feel anymore. Like I don't, I, I don't even know what it's like to feel. For some of you this morning, perhaps you think this is just normal. This is just the normal way that you live. And, and I understand when I talk about emotion in worship, a lot of people do not get emotional in, in worship. And, and I understand that we're not all emotional, but I do also understand that the psalmist does call for us to engage our emotions in the presence of God. And for some of you, maybe you're like, this is just normal for me. Like, I don't, I don't feel. Grandma never felt. Like, my dad didn't feel. I don't. I just don't feel, and, and, and listen, I'm not sure, but there might be something more 
behind that, that prevents you, listen, from feeling, from having tenderness towards God, from being drawn into his presence. And this is what I want to talk about to you this morning. You see, for some of you, maybe the soil around your heart is hard. It's dry. It's broken. And Joel is a prophet. And if, you don't, if you're new to the Bible, that's fine. Prophets in the Old Testament, their main job, they had one job. And their main job was to speak the words of God, to speak the words of God to the people. And so here in Joel, Joel the prophet is speaking to Judah. Who's Judah? Well, Judah is the southern portion of Israel. Now, during this time, Israel was a divided kingdom. It was Israel to the north, Judah to the south. And Judah encapsulated Jerusalem. Now, in the Bible, listen, Jerusalem is often called Zion, and here's what you're going to notice. You're going to notice that God has a heart for Zion. He still does. He has a love affair with Jerusalem. He still does today. God loves Jerusalem. It's a special place for him. And so Joel the prophet is really speaking to the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. And he's calling them to return to the Lord in the middle of a crisis. Because you know what? Sometimes it takes a good crisis for us to come back to God. I've talked to many people who are like, hey, I, I was in a car accident. I almost died. I, I had a disease. I, you know, I couldn't breathe. I was an alcoholic. I was going to drink myself to death. And Jesus saved me. Sometimes it takes a crisis for us to be drawn back to the Lord. And so Joel is doing that in the middle of a crisis, a national crisis. He's saying, hey, return to the Lord, return to the Lord. And this crisis is a locust plague. And the locust plague has absolutely devastated the nation, has absolutely devastated Judah. And, and these locusts have destroyed wine and, and grain. And what it's done is it's hindered their ability to bring offerings to the temple. So now it's affecting their worship. But here's the crazy thing about this is that God allowed this to happen. God allowed it to happen as judgment upon his people so that they would what? They would return to him. Joel is a minor prophet. I said that to you earlier. Now, the minor prophets are, if you look at your Old Testament, the last 12 books of the Old Testament are all minor prophets. And in the minor prophets, there's a reoccurring theme. There's a theme. There's a pattern that's established, and it happens in every single book of the old of, of the minor prophets. It's a theme of the prophet of God speaking to the people of God for three reasons. Number one is this: return to the Lord, return to covenant faithfulness. Right? Return to even Moses is what some scholars will say. Return to the Lord. Number two is repent of sin. Repent of sin. What does repentance mean, Pastor Marco? We don't use that word. I know we don't use it. The Greek word is metanoia, right? It literally means to have a change of mind that leads to a change in action. And so listen, in order for you to do differently, you must think differently. And so God renews your mind, and you think about sin differently than the way that you used to think about it. And now you're like, wait, maybe we shouldn't be doing this like... I don't know. And then you, what, you turn away from that action. It's not just like 
feeling sorry for yourself. It's not just, I feel bad I got caught. Actually, in the Bible, repentance is really marked by a deep sorrow and anguish that says, you know what? Man, I screwed this up, and I got to make it right. I screwed up, and I need to be right with God. And then finally, number three, restored to covenant blessings, to be restored to covenant blessings because God would bring judgment upon his people and then they would come back to him and then what would he do? He would once again bless them. He would always draw them near, not to just smash them with a hammer, but to bless them. And so often Israel in the Old Testament chose idolatry and rebellion instead of pursuing the heart of God, right? So these three big themes happen in every single one of the books of the minor prophets. Now, here's what we're going to do, church. We're going to go back to these verses. Now, let's see if we can find all three of these things right here on the screen behind me in the verses we just read, all right? Here we go. Verse number 12, even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. I mean, it's obvious right there. Boom. Number one. Return to the Lord. Return to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Number two, that's repentance, right? Repentance, fasting, weeping, mourning. God, we've, we've broken your heart. Lord, we, we want to come back to you. Let's see if we can find number three. Let's keep reading. Verse 13, rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he's gracious and compassionate slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing. There it is, number three. Number three, we restore, to be restored to covenant blessings. He may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing, grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. That's the very thing that they needed to what? To approach God in the temple, to offer up offerings. They needed grain and wine, and those things had been destroyed. And so you see the pattern. Return, repent, right? And then once again, be restored to covenant blessings. Now, if you read Amos, if you read Obadiah, all the minor prophets, you're going to see a similar theme throughout every single one of these books. This is the pattern. This is what Joel is saying. And there's this phrase that we've just read. It's gripped my heart for the last seven days, but it's gripped my heart truly for the last couple of months because it was maybe a month or so ago where I came upon this, and the Lord got my attention, and it just kind of stuck with me ever since. It's this phrase that Joel uses. He says this, rend your heart. Rend your heart. It's an expression of internal anguish. Rend your heart. What does that word rend mean? Again, we don't use that word rend. Rend literally means to what? To tear apart, to be torn into pieces. And so in the Old Testament, what we see is that tearing your garments, like ripping your garments, was a sign of mourning and repentance. And here the prophet, here the Lord speaks, and he says this, don't tear your clothing. I don't care what you do with your clothing. He says this, tear your hearts. Right? Tear them open before me, right? Let them be laid exposed, everything exposed before the eyes of God so that you might be softened once again to hear his voice. And the prophet, listen, this is incredible. He's telling them to repent of their cold-heartedness towards God, to come back to him. 
And listen, this is the case for, 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 for many people. In fact, as I pastor in Bay City, the, one of the culprits that I've discovered that leads so many people away from God is a hardened heart. It's a hardened heart. Like over and over and over and over again. Like they begin to tell me their past and they went through this, 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 and this, and this, and this, and this. And I'm not saying it was easy. It, was a, it could, could have been a terrible life and many tragedies. But listen, it's led them to a point where they're cynical, where they're pessimistic, where they're skeptical, and they have a hardened heart. I think the message that Joe has for the, the people in Joe chapter 2, listen, is, is not a, a, an ancient theology lesson that we should say, oh, that's cool. No, it's a lesson for us today. It's God's voice speaking to our generation today. It's God's, God's voice speaking to America today, to our nation, to return, to repent, to be restored. It's not an ancient old thing that we study as a part of history. I think it's the voice of the Lord that speaks to us today. And the grounds, listen, for his people's repentance is God's unchanging character. He's gracious. He's compassionate. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love and faithfulness. Now, do you remember that phrase? You might remember that phrase from our series, God has a name. That phrase, that description of who God is, compassionate, slow to anger, is the most used or most quoted verses from Moses in all of Scripture to describe the character of God. And here it shows up again in Joel chapter 2. Isn't that amazing? It's so cool. It's so cool. The Jewish people would have been familiar with this phrase that he's gracious, that he's compassionate, that he's slow to anger, he's abounding in love, that he's faithful. And so the question for us today, because maybe you're, you're wrestling with some things, you know, internally, but the question for us should be, what causes a hardened heart, right? How did I get here? What's the solution, of course? What causes a hardened heart? How does my heart, how did my heart become hard, dry, broken up, lifeless even? How did Judah become this way? Well, we know, again, that in Judah, there was a track record of, of sin and, and rebellion and idolatry, and they, they put their hope in all the wrong things, and that led to a hardened heart. It's the same. The same is true, of course, for us today. A few, a few weeks ago, Pastor Marcus did a message on Mark chapter 4. It's the parable of the sower. Now, in that message, we're not going to go there, but in that message, listen, Jesus describes these four types of soils, and the soil is resembling the human heart. And so we're going to talk about what causes a hardened heart. We're going to start with Mark chapter 4. You don't have to go there because I'll give them to you. But then I want to add that. I want to add some things to that list, even though this list itself is not exhaustive. Ten things that cause a hardened heart. Because maybe you, you have that. Maybe you know someone who has a hardened heart, right? Let's look at 10 things. Number one, life's trouble. Jesus talks about this, life's trouble. This is anything from a flat tire to you getting fired from your job. Like everybody, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. So Jesus made a promise to us that we're going to have trouble. Jesus never said, hey, you follow me? It's a bed of roses, baby. You're going to have all the money all the food you want, the house, you're going to have everything. It's going to be easy. 
You're never going to get sick. Never. Not even a common cold. Nope, don't. There's no verse that exists that way in the Bible. He said the opposite. He said that in this life you will have trouble. And so some of us, we've had a lot of trouble in our lives. I've met people with a troubled background. It causes a hardened heart. Number two, persecution. Again, Jesus mentions this. Persecution. Jesus says, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Paul writes to Timothy, and he said that every soldier, every man of God must be willing to undergo persecution. Persecution will come, whether, whether it's ridicule, mockery, or whether it's death. There's a persecuted church all over the world where Christians are hunted and killed. Places like Afghanistan, North Korea, China, it's illegal to be a Christian. You will be thrown into a concentration camp or killed on the spot. Number three, worries of life, the worries of life. Is your life consumed with worry? If it is, listen, worry, what it does is it grows up and it becomes anxiety. And anxiety in your life has a way of snuffing out hopefulness, right? It has a way of snuffing out you looking forward to anything. Why? Because you're consumed with anxiety. You're consumed with what if or is that going to happen or how can I do this when that happened or how, how, how am I supposed to do that when, when, when everything's falling apart over here? And, and so the worries of life can cause a hardened heart. Number four, the deceitfulness of wealth. The deceitfulness of wealth. You like money. I like money. I've never met a person who doesn't like money. Money's good. It's a good tool in the hands of a believer. It makes a terrible God. It makes a terrible God because money makes promises that it can't keep. Money says, you get me, you'll be happy. Money says, if you have enough of me, you never have to worry. Money says, if you got enough of me, listen, you'll even have eternal life. You're good to go. You're set. But it always makes promises that it cannot keep. And the deceitfulness of wealth, listen, wealth can be a great thing. It can be a fantastic thing. It can be a blessing from the Lord. However, if your heart is corrupt, it leads to people's destruction. If you have the wrong heart, money's a magnifier. A lot of people tell me, I'll tithe when I make more money. No, you won't. You won't because your heart is not in it right now. You won't tithe later. You must do it now. You must practice obedience now. You must give generously now so that when you have more money, guess what? It'll magnify your ability to be generous. Karen and I, even before we you know, had any money, we've always been generous. We've always had a giving fund where we would put money away. It wasn't a whole lot, but we would put money away to be generous because we were determined to live that lifestyle right now and not wait and not use the excuse that so many Christians say, when I have money, I'll give. No, you won't. Because your heart is hardened towards generosity. So you practice obedience now, even with a little. Well, I only make $12,000 a year. That's okay. So tithe off of that. Give generously from there. It's not much. Who's counting? That's okay. It's generous for you, though. Right? So wealth is deceitful, and it, make promises, it makes promises that it cannot keep. Number five, the desire for other things. Now, what are these other things? Well, <laughs> it's just an exhaust. I mean, the list can go on and on, right? Like to be recognized, to be famous, to have influence, to have a platform, 
to uh, be noticed. I mean, whatever it is, there are a million things that we can have a desire for. Sometimes our lives are consumed with a desire for a great, great, great career. Nothing wrong with a good career because you can provide for your family. You can give to your church. You can give to those who need it, right? Beautiful thing, wonderful thing, all which are God's blessings, right? However, the desire for things can consume you and can harden your heart towards the things of God. Number six is disappointment. Disappointment in life. Are you here this morning? Are you watching online? And life hasn't turned out the way you thought it was going to. What I've discovered um, as a pastor is it's not just like disappointment. It's disappointment after disappointment after disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. And people say, you know what? Where is God after all? I'm so disappointed in him. Hardening of the heart. Number seven, the severing of a relationship, right? Could be romantic, could be a family relationship, could be she walked out on you, could be he filed for divorce, could be she broke your heart, she cheated on you, he wasn't there when he said he was going to be there. It doesn't matter, listen, but when there's a severing of a relationship, he no longer picks up, she no longer texts back. When there's a severing of a relationship, it's like another layer of hardening around our hearts. It's like, man, that hurt, and that hurt. And we, we say things like, people have said to me, I will, Pastor, I would never let a woman say that or do that to me again. And women will say, I will never let a man treat me that way in my life. I will never. And listen, and they make inner vows, which are in opposition to the Bible, by the way. They make inner vows and say, whoa, 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 don't, don't, don't say never. Because you're, 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 you're tying God's hands now. You're trying to handcuff him from unleashing blessing into your life. But we will say things like this, right? And what it does, what it causes is the hardening of your heart, right? I'm not dating anymore. I can't even live with myself. Why do I want to live with a woman? Like, I don't, I don't want. This is why couples are not getting married, right? They're just like, I don't know if I can trust him. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. It's like, right? And so we're seeing like, the marriage institution just, just withering away almost. And that's leading to the demise of a society, by the way. If you can't see it, right, I mean, just turn on the news. Number eight, habitual sin. These are, these are sin patterns in your life. And, and a lot of people, what happens is like, is like we get to a place where we got a pattern of sin, and we don't even know how we started it. It's like, oh, man, I started looking at porn. Oh, I've been doing that for six months. How'd that start? Oh, Pastor Marco, I had to quit smoking before. I'm not, you know, I'd quit drinking or I'm, I'm doing that thing and I picked it back up because I was so stressed out. Camel. Oh, yeah, baby. Feels good, right? So there's some escapism happening there, trying to make themselves feel or cope. And then we get into these patterns of sin from there. Listen, and many of us, I'm not pointing the finger at anybody, so just chill out. I'm just saying, listen, this is, this is a story of so many people. And then we're like, I don't even know how I got here. Do I like it? Not really, Pastor. I get, I get you. I get it, right? Yeah. But we find ourselves in these areas. How about this one? Untimely death. Number nine, someone passes away unexpectedly. So, you know, grandmother or grandfather or a car accident, Right? just breaks our heart into pieces. And then what do we do? We, 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 
wave our fist in the air to God. How could you take her? It was too early. It wasn't her time. Right? And, and then so often, it doesn't draw us to God, but it, it pushes us away from him. Number 10, unanswered prayer. Unanswered prayer. Pastor Marco, if God's real, if he's real, well, how come I pray? And I've been praying for this, and I don't see anything. And I've been praying for this for 10 years, for 12 years, for 20 years. And so some people, listen, embittered on the inside, it causes calluses around their heart, and their, their heart begins to harden, and, and they don't move towards the heart of God, but they move away from the heart of God. Because of what? Because of a hardened heart, because of unanswered prayer. And again, sometimes this is like, it's not really one occurrence. It's more like over and over and over again. You see, in the Bible, the heart is the center of emotion and thought. This is why there's so much emphasis on it in Scripture. Listen, a good preacher, a good preacher wants to speak to the intellect, as I do. I want to speak to the intellect. I love to learn. I love to read deeply. But a good preacher is supposed to speak primarily to the heart. Listen, and the idea is, is that in the Bible, the way that we relate to God primarily is not the intellect, although it's a, it's a big part of it. I'm not diminishing that. Absolutely not. Okay? But the primary way that we relate to God is through the heart. This is why atheists or people who don't have all of their questions answered will place their faith in Jesus Christ. They do, and they will, even if they don't have all of their questions answered. Because why? Because it's not primarily about the intellect. It's about their heart relating to God. Now, having questions answered, a good thing. Are there good answers for your questions? There absolutely are, 100%. We call this apologetics. It's a whole study of evidence and answers around biblical questions, around questions that we have in life. What I want to do for the next few minutes is I want to I'm going to build a, a, a quick theology of the heart from the scripture. And then we'll land in a certain place, and then we'll ask God to just search our hearts. So let me show you vast ways, some of the vast ways that the heart is used in the Bible. Number one, the heart is the seat of intelligence. The heart is the seat of intelligence. I'll go quickly, so you'll have to watch the live stream again if you're trying to take notes. Matthew 13, 15, for this people's hearts has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and here, notice what it says, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I should heal them. So there's an understanding that comes from your heart, not just, not just merely the intellect, but from your heart, Jesus says. Number two, the heart is connected to thinking, to thinking. In the old King James Version, Proverbs 23, verse 7, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with thee. So you're thinking, what does that mean? What did we just read? Listen, I don't normally like read the King James or anything like that. Here's what it's trying to say. It's trying to say this. There's an example of somebody saying something with their mouth, but in their heart feeling a different way. Make sense? You say something with your mouth, but in your heart you feel a different way. And so often for people is we might say something with our mouth, but our heart feels a different way. So often we, we, we will we'll lean more into 
the heart, right? What does the heart say? How does the heart lead me? We'll, we'll say things of that nature. The thoughts and the inclinations of the heart shape the reality of who you are, church. Number three, the conscious decision is made in the heart. The conscious decision is made in the heart. So you make choices, you make decisions in the heart. Listen, Romans six seventeen, Paul says, but thanks be to God, though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to, here it is, obey from your heart. Not obey because there's rules. Not obey because you think it's the good thing or the right thing to do. Not obey because you have religious obligations. Not obey because grandma wanted you to find a good church. No, no, no. Paul says you're coming to obey from your heart. The pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. Number four, emotions originate in the heart. So our emotions come from the heart. Notice Isaiah 65, 14. My servant will sing out of the joy of their hearts, but you will cry out from anguish of heart and wail in brokenness of spirit. So the emotions stem from the heart in a biblical worldview. Number five, love and hate originate in the heart. Love and hate originate in the heart. Leviticus 19.17 in the Old Testament says this, Do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor, frankly, so you will not share in their guilt. Have you ever hated someone? And if you have, join the club, right? Because we all have. I don't care who you are. Well, hate comes from the heart. And Jesus says that all sorts of defilement comes from your heart. All types of defilement, and then it makes its way out of our mouths. And then we communicate that to people, don't we? What about love? Well, Mark 12, 30. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Number six, the heart is the root of the problem, you guys. The heart is the root of the problem. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I tell you what, I can't. The heart is deceitful above all things. Let me just say this real quick, you guys. This is why, listen, no matter how much education we get in our country, no matter how much wealth we accrue, no matter how much technology advances, that cannot fix all of society's ills. Come on, right? Am I right? Come on, church, listen, we, we, have a, we live in a culture right now that's trying to find all the solutions in all the wrong places. And more education, accruing more wealth, advancing technology, and those things can be good and they can be useful, but they're never going to fix a nation because the problem is the human heart. The problem is the human heart. Listen, it's 2024, and I think that we're, we should be ready for a, a bumpy ride this year. We should be ready for a divided country. We should be ready for riots in the streets. We should be ready for social unrest. I don't want those things to happen, okay? But the problem is the heart. It's the heart. And the heart is corrupt. And so number seven let me say this last thing. The heart is the place where God does his work in the individual. The heart is the place where God does his work in the individual. Romans 2, 15 and 16 says this. 
They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. Their consciences also bearing witness in their thoughts, sometimes accusing them and at other times even defending them. Now, listen, leave that verse up there for just a moment. I, this is a confusing verse by itself. I get that. You've got to read the context and the context is this quickly. Paul saying, is, is saying this, that he's saying when Gentiles, these are non-Jewish people, when Gentiles obey the law, what law? The law of God. When they obey the law, what they're showing is that the law of God is actually written on their hearts. And their conscience bears the witness. In other words, their conscience will tell them that's wrong. That's a good thing. That's evil. That's a good thing. So many of us, though, in society today, listen, we've seared our consciences, though. And so no longer, we no longer can tell the difference between what is good and what is evil. And we're like the people in the day of the judges where they, each man did what was right in their own eyes. But the idea is, listen, is that God has to do a work in the human heart. And even those who are perhaps the most filthiest people on our planet can still look in the mirror and deep inside they know what I'm doing is evil, sick, and perverted. Our conscience bears witness that the law of God is written on our hearts. We're going to wrap up here in just a moment. Let me just say this. Uh, last week, a friend of mine here at church, he reminded me of the hymn, Come Thou Fount, great hymn, incredible hymn. And, and he said that what I said in last week's message reminded me of, of this song. Let me just read you some lyrics. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love, right? Here's my heart, Lord, right? Take and seal it. You guys know the song? Seal it for thy courts above, right? Take my heart, Lord. I love this line, and I wonder who I'm talking to this morning, whether you're here in person or you're watching online. Listen, you didn't want to wander, but the addiction took over. The vices took over. The disappointment settled in. In fact, it was disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. Prayers went unanswered in your life. She broke your heart. He walked out the door. Listen, your best friend died. He cheated on you. The divorce was filed. It was finalized. Hope was dwindled. Worry and anxiety became your two best friends, and they moved in to your apartment or your house. And there, here you are. Yet yeah, here you are, and you're a shadow of your former self. And you're here this morning, and you're asking the questions, have I wandered too far? Is there any hope for my heart? Has my conscience been seared too many times? But let me just say this to you, church. Today, if you hear the voice of the Lord, do not harden your hearts. Do not harden your hearts. Today, for someone in here or watching online, Hebrews 3.15 is for you. It says this, as has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. This is a verse speaking of the children of Israel as they were exiting Egypt, that instead of pursuing and choosing God, they hardened their hearts towards him in rebellion and idolatry. And listen, church, the message for you is clear. It's the same. If you hear his voice today, don't harden your heart. 
Listen, the message of Joel for you is the same. It's this. It's rend your heart, right? Rip it open. Expose all of it to God. Take off the religious facade. Nobody's buying it anyways, right? It's expose all of your inner workings to him. Come and be healed. It's the message of Joel. Return, repent, and be restored to the covenant blessings of God today. Because listen, the scripture says in Psalm 51 that the only way that we come into the the covenant blessings of God is through a broken and contrite heart. That is what I want for all of us today in this new year. A broken heart before God that we would rend our hearts and be torn apart for him so that he might come heal, breathe new life into us, restore us so that we would not be bitter because of the divorce so that we would not walk away and bring all of our old issues from our past relationships into this relationship that we're in right now, so that we might be healed, finally set free from the pain of our past. Come on, church, let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray right now, rend our hearts, God. Rip them open, God. Tear them open before you, Lord. God, we take off the religious facade and the mask and the religiosity garbage. All that garbage is not pleasing to you, God. You want the heart. You want all of us. And so, Lord, here we are. Here we are. Come and renew us. Come and heal us. Come and make us new. Help us to forgive. Help us to be reconciled to our brothers and sisters. Help us to have softened hearts, Lord, so that we might love you and obey you and follow you. Do it today, God. This is the work that we're calling for on January 14th, 2024. Come and rend our hearts with those even watching online. Come and rend their hearts, God, that we might be fully exposed to you and made new in Jesus Christ today. We pray this, God. Those who hear my voice would not harden their hearts, God, but would be drawn to you today. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen, amen. Let's clap our hands for the work that God is doing.